Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect years. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll recap the strong elimination final performance, we'll talk waffle finals and injuries before breaking down this Friday's semi-final against Geelong from all angles. I'm your host Honey Badger 35 and I am joined once again by Mr KK, how are you? I'm very good, one down, three to go and listeners have to put up with us for another week, so... Sucks for them. Yeah, sucks for them, but uh, fingers crossed they have to put up with us for a few weeks more. The final series got off to almost the perfect start from an Eagles point of view uh, without maybe getting into the other games and what that means for our future potential finals matchups. Just in terms of the Eagles game itself, it was pretty low impact, pretty bruise free, and we got through relatively unscathed. So we might as well jump straight into it and break down a great effort against Essendon. West Coast Eagles, 17 goals, 14-1-1-6, defeated Essendon, 9-7-61. Eagles kicked six goals in the opening term, and I really felt that that set the tone for the game. Essendon never really got involved. They had a, a, a couple of bursts here and there, but they couldn't really get their footing in the game, I found. So the Eagles solidly just chipped away at them and a couple of really nice scoring bursts ourselves. So KK, job done. All you have to do in an elimination final is win. The Eagles did just that. And how did you find Thursday's game? Quite peaceful, actually. Um, that was a pleasant surprise. It's always a worry in an elimination situation, but I thought we just handled the game fantastically. It went about as well as an elimination final could. We got through with no injuries, no suspensions, uh, had a comfortable win. We were able to, to manage guys near the end of the game when we needed to can't really think of anyone who had more than a couple of bad moments. And, and overall, I think everyone had a pretty solid game. I, I couldn't name someone who was uh, beaten on the night by their opponent. And when you've got to win four finals in four weeks to win the flag, if you can get a first-up game that probably didn't really feel like a final in terms of the, the physicality and the number of tackles, I think it was less than 80 tackles for the, the whole game amongst two teams. It's, it's about all you can hope for going into into a tough finals campaign. Yeah, Essendon laying just 45 tackles. Now, obviously, we will get into the Geelong game later on, but I believe in their game, Collingwood laid something like 95. So a really contrasting first week of finals for this week's opponents. But as I said, we'll get into that in just a moment. Let's keep it on the Essendon game for now, and let's start things off with the headline of the whole show. That is, of course, Nick Natanui. Uh, He came in after several weeks out. He looks every bit a superstar that we all thought he was or we all know that he is. And basically, KK, Nick Nat changed this game and has potentially changed the season in a way that you can't quite quantify. The Eagles scored 42 points from centre clearances, which I believe is the second most that any side has scored this season. We had 17 centre clearances. That's a season high. 
And basically, I mean, aside from a suspension question mark or just, you know, a little bit of nerves as you were leaving the game, re the hair pull incident, there wasn't a single negative to Nick Natanui's game. He got through unscathed. He looked a superstar. And yeah, we got to manage him at the end. How good was that? Fantastic. I've got to say, I had my heart in my mouth when he was chasing Saad down the wing and trying to lay a tackle. But that just shows how, what a god the man is. Um, We we expected to give a big boost uh, to our midfield, particularly in the centre clearances. And Absolutely, he delivered it. Dog Chambers, he's no mug in the ruck. He's had some good games against us on occasions. And just just the whole change, particularly in the centre bounces, you see our midfielders are always on the move and there's no concern that he's not going to win the ruck tap. The only thing that's going to stop it is if it's a bad bounce and they have to recall it and we reset. But you can just see we, we can have so many combinations of the way our midfielders can move to get free of their opponents and set plays, and we know that Natanu is going to put it on the plate where it needs to be. And if the ball doesn't clear and comes to ground, then he's uh, he's head and shoulders above any other ruckman, I think, possibly exception of Grundy, in terms of how good he is when the ball hits the ground. He's like an extra midfielder. So really, we'd been looking forward to it for so long, and it went as well as, as it could have. 24 hitouts for Nick Natanui. Essendon had 18 in total. Nick Nat's only played 53% of the game, but he's come away with 14 disposals, four tackles, two marks as well, just for all the uh, all the knockers there. He even had two of them. So what a bloody day at the office. Just a quick look at our centre clearance breakdown with and without Natanui. So with him, we're averaging 14.7 this season, and we have won the centre clearance battle 4-0 to zero in the four games that he's played this year. So when Nick Natanui plays, the Eagles win the centre clearances. Now in all of the games that we've not had him, that 14.7, it comes down to 11.6, and we win the centre clearance battle just 36% of the time. So an absolute game changer for the Eagles. He'll be a focal point of our attack against Geelong this week, which we'll look at in just a moment. But keeping it in the Essendon game and, and keeping the praise flying around, what about Cripps, Rioli, Ryan? What about the small forward mix on the weekend? Because, I mean, Cripps was working his tail off. He's come away with four goals. Rioli was involved in everything, especially early. His first few quarters were sublime. And Ryan working his tail off yet again, throwing his body in, some diving smothers. Just a really dynamic performance from the Eagles' small forwards. We absolutely ran them ragged. I particularly loved Rioli in the first half. He's just so clean around the ball. That I think it must have been in the... Probably in the first quarter, I think there was just a kick inside 50, knockdown. He just front and centre, didn't even break stride. Oh, my God. And dribbled it through. Amazing. Yeah, he just, he just doesn't just doesn't fumble. And Essendon had no no answer to the the, the pace and the versatility of, of all three of them. Uh, it's good to see Cripps uh, bob up with, with four goals. I think he's, he's almost a bit of a barometer of our team. And he's a, become a real clutch player. As well, he's had some kick the goal to win the, the Hawthorne game, kicked a nice goal in the, in the grand final, and he's a guy that can be relied upon to deliver in clutch moments. And I don't think that's that's always been the case with him. That that's a big improvement in his game. Twenty-two disposals from Jamie Cripps, the fourth highest tally of his career. He kicked four goals. Obviously, he's kicked four goals a few times for us this year. But like you say, yeah, when Cripps is on. We are often very much on. He, he does a lot of unrewarded hard work, but when the Eagles are firing, he often gets, you know, he'll get on the end of them or snag a few goals and maybe get a little bit more of an individual accolade than he's used to. Look, while we're talking about pace, while we're talking about dynamic footballers, we can't not talk about Lewis Jetta. 
He played an absolute blinder of a game. He had the board just absolutely clamoring for more, more disposals, more kicks. Let's get him involved. He was spraying them all over the place and just hitting chests left, right and center. 19 disposals, 14 of which were kicks. What do we make of Lewis Jetta's impact off the halfback line? He's really just got better and better as the season's gone on. And he's such a weapon in the back half. And it really makes it difficult for teams if they try to, to shut down on Hearn. Then Jetta is that, that weapon. And he seems to have uh, – he's obviously got the ability to execute, but he's also got the guts to take on the difficult kicks. I think Hearn maybe has, has lost that part of his game a bit or just doing the captain thing and playing a little more sensibly. But, but Jetta is the one who's got the licence to do the, the difficult things. And when you can kick the ball as well as he can, then, then why the hell not? And I think I talked about it last week or one of the recent pods about – what he gives with his run out of the back half as well. It's just an extra dimension. And when teams are set up for a kick, if you can get a guy who can step around a couple of players and it causes defenders up the ground to, to make a decision and it opens up things further on. So he's a huge weapon and I would expect teams will be putting a lot more time into him than they might have done in the past when they're focusing on how to shut down McGovern and Hearn. They've really got to think about what Jed is going to do against them. Absolutely having to pick your poison against the Eagles' back line, especially in the form that they're currently in. Uh, you touched on Hearn. Perhaps he's down a little bit since he's come back from the injury, but it's the sort of thing where if you spend all your time with Jetta, there is every chance Shannon Hearn will get off the chain. So definitely something to watch as we hopefully go forward for several more weeks in season 2019. Let's keep it in the back line. Now, Will Schofield came back into the side. It is something that people have been asking for for some time. And very quickly, Tom Barras looked more assured. Scully himself did a very good job. Jeremy McGovern was flying around. And Brad Shepard is just intercepting everything. Essendon's skills probably helped us a little bit. A few wayward kicks inside 50. But what did you make of the new look, solid Eagles backline? Yeah, we've been calling for, for Schofield for a while. I think he just makes our, our backline mix so much better. I, I honestly can't remember him doing one thing wrong in the game on, on Thursday. And I don't know what effect it had on Barras, if it just gave him the confidence or maybe freed him up a bit from the, the pressure. But Barras had sort of the game that we, we know and love from him. I thought I, the one thing I liked about Barras's game is he, he was really decisive in when to mark and when to punch. And when he was spoiling, he was proper spoiling, killing the ball. Um, I think in the last few games where he's... He's been down a bit. It's been a lot of indecisiveness in his play, and that's caused him to, to make some poor decisions. But he, he was back to his best, and McGovern was the same. We had a really good mix of when to mark, when to spoil. And, yeah, you know, I think Schofield, he's absolutely in our best 22 when he proved that. And I would expect he'll, he'll be staying there for the remainder of the season. Do you know what one of my favourite things about Will Schofield is? Not, it's not just how solid he makes the back line look and how he seems to lift the play of everybody else. My God, that man is a prick. Like he really is just an old school prick that is just not going to let you have a fun day at the office. And forwards are very. I'm speaking as somebody who played amateur football very badly, but when I did, I played in the back line. Forwards are soft. Forwards are sooky, and they'll look to the umpires. They'll beg for anything. And Will Schofield just does not let up. He's getting into Stringer. He's getting into Laverde. He was just getting into them all day. And by the end, I don't think the Essendon forwards wanted to go near it because they knew that Scoey was going to come and give them one on the way through. Brilliant game from Schofield uh, and a fantastic, solid game down back from the Eagles who were really intercepting everything with a great deal of ease. Now, we can't just talk positives. We've got to talk some negatives. Well, at least that's the way it's usually done, except KK for the life of me. I can't really think of any. We seem to have come out with a clean bill of health. 
You mentioned that it was a fairly bruise-free game, which it was, should hold us in good stead for next week. And Nick Nat didn't get suspended. So, you know, if we have to nitpick or come up with something from last week that we're not too pleased about, is there really much? If I'm stretching, there were a couple of moments of selfishness in our forward line. And there wasn't just one culprit. There was Ryan, I think he actually kicked the goal in the end, but chose to kick instead of having the easy handball over to Cripps. Um, Kennedy took a mark. 45 metres out with free plays everywhere and just turned his back and then went back and missed a shot. And then Cripps in the last quarter missed one that he, sh- he should have kicked and took the bad option. So that, as you say, it's a bit nitpicking, but I'm sure that thing would have been flagged up in a review. I, and I really can't think of much else. I, I can't even pile on Jackson Nelson. He had a couple of bad moments, but they're probably highlighted because they were in the space of five minutes and they both led to Essendon goals. But outside of that, I thought he played a really solid game and for the second time this season Essendon small forwards really didn't get a look in. He was on Tipper. Tipper kicked a goal from an advantage that was unrelated to Nelson and then Tipper also kicked a goal after Nelson went off. The first one was a little bit well there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was poor from Nelson. He tried to break a tackle in the back line. Wasn't quick enough. Didn't react to the second tackle coming in very well. Got caught holding the ball. The other holding the ball I actually thought was a little bit stiff. So Nelson, you know, the the pleasing thing is that he's still hard at it after that and he doesn't shy away from, oh, I've been caught holding the ball a few times so now I'm just going to wait for my man to get it and tackle him. You know, he's still still pretty hard up for it. Look, you mentioned it there. Uh, There aren't too many negatives, but you did just say something then that I want to touch on and that is Josh Kennedy. Four goals from him. He maybe could have had some more. It's the second day out he's had against Essendon this year. Do we put it down to the pre-finals buy? Because there are a couple of rumblings about Kennedy earlier in the season, and especially down the stretch, he looked very, very tired, slowed down a great deal. He seems rejuvenated, he seems fresh, but we've also seen him have success against Essendon this year. So is this something that maybe these last two, three, four weeks of Josh Kennedy, this is what we can expect, or is it just sort of maybe he had a good day against a good matchup? Oh, I think at his stage of his career, any, any breaks a good one. He's, he's going to benefit from the buy as much as anyone. And I, I think we show that. And I always talk about the, the mindset. And when you've had success against a team, then that, that breeds a good mindset going into the next game and, and vice versa. When his opponent hasn't had a good recent history against the Eagles that, that played as well. But I, I think, yeah, absolutely, Kennedy is going to be good for the bye. Um, I'm actually a fan of the, the pre-finals bye. I think the quality of finals in, in general, though, this week's probably a bad example, has, has been better. Since it's since it's come in, and the the only knock on it is maybe it doesn't advantage teams that finished higher up the ladder as much as they were in the past. But the flip side of that is we've got such a compromised fixture that your ladder position might not be that reflective of how good a team you are. So should you have too much advantage if you're just there by virtue of having an easier fixture? Three cheers for the pre-finals bye, and g'day to Ross Lyon, Brad Scott, if you're listening, gents. Let's move along to the waffle, and it was unfortunately a different story for the Beagles on Sunday than it was for the Eagles on the Thursday night. So they did have a final, it was a must-win final, and unfortunately, 8 goals, 12-60, the Beagles have been defeated by Claremont, 10 goals, 6-66. The season's come to a conclusion, it was a, a somewhat of an overachieving opening season. I think we didn't really know what to expect coming in, but the Beagles were pretty poor to start, and from the midway point on were just terrific, really gave the fans a lot to be happy about, and on the day, KK, pretty much inaccuracy, just just the issue. They kicked one goal five in the final term, 
Uh, obviously, eight goals, 12 to 10-6. So they really had an opportunity to, to steal that game at the end, but they couldn't do so, unfortunately. Uh, Josh Rotham looks like he was a bit of a standout. 18 touches. Frankie Watson, 21 disposals, six tackles. Archie, 19 and a goal. Uh, and Hamish Brayshaw, 22 disposals, 12 tackles. And big bad Bailey Williams, 14 disposals, two goals. Pencil him into your round one 2020 side, by the way. But KK, the waffle season has come to an end. The Beagles, it's their first season, and I think it's been a success. What do you make of the season in general? And, and is there any sort of negatives to come away from the fact that the Beagles might not be playing as long as the Eagles are? Oh, it's probably not ideal, but I think that's a bit harsh to, to put that as a knock on it. I, I agree with you. I think it's been a successful season. It's something I haven't been able to follow too closely, but it is pleasing the way the, the side's built through the season, and that probably suggests that the benefits of having all our you know, like guys at one club and within our own footy club, you can get that sort of continuity of, of training and development, and um, and that's showing in the results that have improved as the season goes on. And it's good to see that the guys who are on our list, the young guys, were still performing and still performing strong near the end of the season, and that gives us a good grounding for those guys to have a break, have a good pre-season, and come back pushing for a spot in the, the seniors next year. Let's move on now to the main event of the week. It's the semi-final. The season can end here or it can continue on in glorious fashion and we will find out this Friday at 5.50pm WA time, of course. The Eagles play Geelong. They play at the MCG. They do not play at GMHBA Stadium, despite what the Fox footy guys would have you believe should be taking place uh, following Collingwood's glorious win at the G as well. So, look, KK, we now know that if the Eagles are to make the grand final, they will be at the MCG every step of the way. Their first trip is this weekend. They might come back to Perth and then go back again to play Richmond. They might come back again after that and go back for a grand final. So it's been a bit of a talking point on the board this week, and Dazzler 10 brings it up for us here on the podcast. Do you think... With these potential three consecutive weeks at the MCG, the Eagles should have just set up a base in Melbourne to try and minimise travel, or should they stick to the usual routine? I think sticking to the usual routine is best. It's going to be hard to organise something like that at at short notice, and you've kind of got to have the arrogance to organise it all now, even though you might get knocked out in a couple of days' time and it all goes to waste. But I think the biggest thing is from a, a play welfare point of view, like the whole friends, family flag thing I think the order is important that and that's the ethos that Simpson sort of brought to the club that footy's just a game at the end of the day and friend and family the most important thing and we've got a team with a lot of a lot of fathers on there and so I've got kids myself I know it's um what it's like when you're traveling for work the the novelty wears off pretty damn quick and I think for the overall mindset of the players and what's going to give them the best performance is to, to have that ability to go home between the games, um, sleep in their own bed, spend time with their partners, family, pets, whatever, and and keeping that normal routine. Um, we might lose a slight amount of physical preparation with the flights, but I think you're going to get more than that back in just having the players in the right frame of mind. The, the competition is so close that games are won and lost on the margin, and it's as much about uh, the mindset on the day as it is physical preparation. Another couple of quick ones before we actually dive into the X's and O's of this Eagles-Geelong clash. 
talking about the MCG versus GMHBA, where do you stand on that issue? So for me, when the Collingwood game finished, like I said, Fox footy suddenly thought, well, hang on a minute, why can't Geelong host a final in Geelong? Because as we know, there is always one rule for some and a separate rule for the others. For myself, I think Geelong should play every final there. I understand the argument about locking a few people out. It's more than a few, to be honest. But I think if you come first, you should be able to host your games everywhere, provided that it's the same rules for everyone. You can't have a situation where Collingwood and Richmond are always at the G, but if the Giants were to come to town, that can be in Geelong. You can't have that. It has to be the same rule for everybody. So if you told me we were playing this week at GMHBA, I would have no issue, provided Collingwood played there last week. So where where do you stand on that issue? Um, same as you. I think Geelong should be able to play their finals at home. I think they should probably play all their home games at Geelong, mm. to be honest. I'd go further. I'd say the Etihad teams should play all their home games at Etihad, and they're including finals. And as for the people that miss out, there's probably 30,000 MCC and VFL members in that crowd that miss out, and they're basically freeloading neutrals. If they can't watch a game in Geelong, then... Who cares? I, I actually reckon Cadinia Park sold out with a 50-50 crowd split and be an, an awesome spectacle. For the sake of the Eagles, I'm very glad that it's not there. Geelong have won 90 of their last 100 games in Geelong. It's the best streak in VFL-AFL history. So for our purposes, it's fantastic. But long term, yeah, I actually think that is something that the league should change. Before we get into the Eagles-Geelong specifics, we've got one more, and this one comes from Quinns, who mentions that traditionally the qualifying final losers have been underrated uh, and the elimination final winners have sort of potentially been overrated or, or often favoured and pumped up heading into those semifinals. So do you think it's a, a matter of the pre-finals buy coming into play or just the natural reaction to a team that wins or a team that loses? What, what do you think is this change in elimination final winners versus QF losers and, and how it applies to the favouritism in the semifinal? I think the three certainties in life are death taxes and reading too much into week one finals results. But this year, it's it's a bit different this year that uh, Geelong were first, we were fifth, but we only finished one game behind them. And if you sort of break the season down into pre and post buy, because that's quite neat, and that's a decent body of work, uh, half a season, we were the better performed team. So I think that the people are saying that we're uh, red hot chance or even favourites in this game. I think that's that's probably true in this case. Um, it is a bit of an unusual circumstance that Geelong's position probably uh, flattered them over the course of the season and we would probably only a couple of very narrow results away from from being in their position and with the reigning premiers and we've got a healthy list and they've got a few injuries so I think it's it's fair call in this situation Um, I wouldn't apply the same logic to Brisbane versus GWS for example because I think I think Brisbane will will show their quality there. When did the pre-finals buy come in, can I just ask? It was post-2015. Is that when Lyon did all the resting or was it as early as 2013? No, it was 20... I think 2016 was the first year. Okay. All right. Then it screwed us with the Bulldogs. Don't remember 2015 having a buy, but yeah. I look stupid when someone looks that up and tells me I'm wrong. Oh, either way, it's it's, it's largely irrelevant. I was just going to say that in, in 16, obviously, the Dogs progressed uh, from the the five through eight bracket last year we saw Melbourne progress to a prelim as well so perhaps it is something that is on the uptick of late but look we've skirted around it long enough the main event this week is the Eagles versus Geelong not a discussion about the finals format so let's get stuck into the game now these two sides they met in round six in Geelong 
The Cats trounced the Eagles by 58 points. It was our biggest defeat of the season. It was our lowest score of the season with only 46 points. But KK, like you mentioned, Geelong have not looked nearly as good in the back half of the season. So what do we make of this game coming in? We are installed as favourites, according to the bookmakers. G'day, Jaden Stevenson, if you're listening. So is this something where we can genuinely expect to go into Geelong and if we play at our best, we can make a prelim from here? Absolutely. We should have some confidence. We've got a fit list. Uh, we should take some confidence from our performance last year. And we've got an opponent that's under a fair bit of pressure. They, their finals record's been really ropey the last few years. I'm, I'm not sure their win-loss record since 2011, but it's it's pretty ugly reading. And they've had at least one straight sets exit from the top four position that time. So, yeah, absolutely. We should go in with, with a lot of confidence. And it, it's quite funny that... You wouldn't have thought this two years ago, but playing at the MCG suits us more than it suits Geelong. That's um, a bizarre situation, given what record had been up to that point. So the Cats 3-10 and 10 in finals since winning the 2011 flag. Uh, we'll start by looking at the Eagles more so than Geelong, and we'll start, of course, with the changes. Last week, as we've touched on, there weren't too many passengers. Everybody played a solid game. The Eagles have flown out today. Uh, and it is believed that the travelling party is only 24 people big or large, or however I would describe that. Uh, it contains 24 people, the travelling party. So it's last week's 22. It's Liam Duggan and it's Oscar Allen, who, of course, missed the game with some knee soreness last week. For you, we've had a good result. Do you mess with a winning formula? Do you bring in Allen, who's played the majority of our games this year? What changes, if any, are you making for this semi final? I'm a massive Oscar Allen fan, but I don't think I'm making any changes. This week, uh, Waterman was really impressive. I thought on on Thursday night. Uh, if I could highlight a passage of play, I think it was maybe third quarter, and we were under a bit of pressure in, in defence. And he was the get out kick, and he he run the whole way down from the forward line to take a mark in defensive fifty. And then the next kick was Maston, who'd made a sixty metre lead out to the wing to be the next free man. I think that sort of shows what those two guys add to our team and. With Nat Nui and Hickey uh, not playing too much game time and not being too mobile around the ground, we need the runners. So I'm a huge Oscar Allen fan, and I said opposite last week that I would have had Allen in and Waterman the, the unlucky one. But given what I've seen and for the overall team balance, I think just for at the moment, Waterman is better for the overall team than Allen this week. I agree with you entirely, and I cannot believe that this is the position I'm in. Like you, yes, I had Nat Nui in, Waterman out as my preferred change for the final. Now, obviously, we didn't know that Allen was dealing with some knee soreness, but he's healthy now by all reports, and you've got the opportunity now to bring him in for Jake Waterman, who, on the balance of 2019 play, yeah, I'd prefer Allen to Waterman. I would. And yet, I also think unchanged. Uh, Jackson Nelson's come up from his head knock, which we discussed earlier. Liam Duggan played in the waffle, uh, so perhaps on managed minutes, but it's an interesting choice to try and get him to back up a Sunday to being the emergency on the following Friday. Tom Cole held over from the waffle, but doesn't appear to be travelling. So for me, yeah, look, I agree with you. No changes, thanks. Jake Waterman has done terrific work over the last few weeks and he had three marks inside 50 on the weekend. He kicked two goals, one. He really could have had a good day on the scoreboard, but his work rate around the ground, 10 marks. He covers a lot of territory. So congratulations, Jake Waterman. Yeah, if it's up to us, you're staying in the side. Look, while we're talking about the travelling party, can I just say this? The Eagles don't have any waffle from here on in, as we've discussed. You obviously have to name four emergencies in your team. 
KK, why are we only travelling 24 guys? Why wouldn't we take this opportunity to bring, at the very least, 26 across, but even more than that? You know, is there any... Is there any real benefit or, you know, does, it, do we, does this give us any clues into the team selection that we're not taking a, a big crew across? I can't think of any. Did they not leave enough seats when they did that special members deal to go to the game this week? They can only take 24 players. Yes. I'm with you. I can't really see the point of not taking a couple of extras. Be able to think a guy like Archie just because of his flexibility or maybe one of Cameron or Petricelli if we, we want to go that more Offensive forward, as opposed to Hutchings being the defensive forward. I think this time of year, and the more flexibility you can have, the better. And it might keep Geelong guessing as well. So it's a bit of an odd one. It is an odd one indeed. You've just sparked something in me there where you talked about selling the seats to members. Did we not leave enough seats? I've just figured it out. We're leaving some seats spare for Tim Kelly, his partner, his kids, all to come back with us. We're going to beat Geelong. We're going to get him on the plane, and he's going to travel around with us for the rest of the finals just to acclimate and get ready for 2020. So we've solved it. There's your answer. Um, look, we'll, we'll get stuck into the game here. We've got Geelong that you've touched on a few times now. Not in great form since the bye. Uh, they've alternated win-loss, win-loss, win-loss ever since that round 13 bye. They haven't won back-to-back games since June. They've lost both of their games at the G in that time, and they've only won once away from Geelong in that span. They beat Sydney by 27 points. So the Cats looked very dangerous. They looked absolutely elite in the front end of the season, but are quite a different proposition now, KK. What is the main area of concern as you look at this Cats list or at the team that's going to take the field on Friday night? What do we need to be worried about when it comes to a Geelong side that ultimately still did finish on top of the ladder? Across the lines, their strength is the defence. And that showed in the first game we played down there. So 46 was our season low. And, yeah, we, we really struggled to score all night. And, and they've um, they've done some numbers on other teams in terms of their defence. I think they held north to the lowest score <laughs> in club history as well. <laughs> Even at the back end of the season when they were struggling, their, their defence was still still solid. They had a few guys in the, the All-Australian team and squad from the defence. So that's probably our, our biggest worry. Although... With the form our small forwards in, and that's probably something that maybe Geelong haven't faced too much. We've got a, a pretty unique mix of, of small forwards um, that, that can all take a mark as well. So I think that's that's something for them to to worry about. And and Dangerfield's the other big one. He's absolutely an elite player, and when he's on his day, he's very difficult to stop. He, as bad as they were against Collingwood on Friday, he almost got them over the line in the last quarter almost single-handedly. So that, that's probably their, their two weapons is Dangerfield and a very stingy, solid defence. Just taking a look at the statistical ratings, Geelong second in the league in points per game and first in the league in points allowed. That is to say they allow the fewest points per game. But if you break it down pre-buy and post-buy, before the buy they were scoring 99 points and conceding 65 since the bye, they're only scoring 76. That's fallen away by 23 points, and they're conceding 72. So the, the form shift is very real. These are two different beasts, and I think maybe we have gone too far the other way in, in underrating Geelong. I think people have sort of almost ruled a line through them, to be honest, in the last couple of weeks as flag threats. But they are still a dangerous side on their day. Uh, the stats don't flatter them particularly, but like you said, they've got a few options, particularly in that back line, that are of real concern. Let's talk about one of them now, and that is Tom Stewart. 
Stewart, obviously an All-Australian defender. He leads the comp in kicks. He's second in the league in marks behind our own Brad Shepard. He leads the league in rebound 50s. So all in all, just a really vital weapon for Geelong driving out of that back line. For yourself, KK, is it as simple as saying, Mark Hutchings, that's your job this week? Or how do we try and deal with a guy who is a really rebound specialist like Tom Stewart? I think it's probably a chance to use Hutchings in that role. He's done a good job. Though Stewart's not the, the kind of guy he would normally be matching up when he's got a bit more size about him. So Hutchings might struggle from that point of view, but it might just be a matter of just not letting him get uncontested possessions. I know Geelong certainly look for him when they're bringing the ball out of the line, and some of the other guys back there are, are not particularly great kicks of the football, so I can understand why they do that. And that, that might be as simple as that. If we can just keep the ball out of his hands and force some other people to be be doing that rebound 50, then that, that should help us. They, they really struggled to move the ball against Collingwood on, on Friday night. So either they're going to struggle like that again or they're going to try and take a few more risky kicks. And if we can have uh, the weaker kicks in their team taking those risks, then that's a good chance for us to to turn the ball over. A career-high 13 marks for Stewart when these sides met earlier on in the season. Uh, I believe Hutchie was not really doing that defensive forward role yet. I think he was still tagging through the middle. uh, Or indeed, in that game, he might have even just been playing straight up on a wing. So certainly an interesting look. There is a height disparity, like you touched on, between the two. I wonder if it's the sort of thing that you you send a Cripps or a Waterman to not tag him, but just keep an eye on him, just run with him a little bit and try and close down his space. Uh, But that matchup certainly one to watch. Another big matchup, you mentioned him earlier, Patrick Dangerfield. Absolute superstar of the competition, albeit fairly overexposed in the media. Pretty sick of seeing his face. But he absolutely delivered for Geelong in the fourth quarter against Collingwood. He almost single-handedly lifted them back over the line. The Yo-Dangerfield matchup is one that, in my head, makes a lot of sense. We saw Yo perhaps lower his colours last time he went up against one of these guys when we played Dustin Martin and the Tigers. So, KK, are you still happy to throw this challenge to Yo and go head-to-head on each other, or is there some way, some other way that you'd be hoping to combat the Geelong midfield? I think Yo, first of all, he, he's the one guy in our team that the physicality and the athleticism to, to go with Dangerfield. And he had a bit of a bad run out against... Um, Dustin Martin a few weeks ago, but that's probably more the exception. He, he's generally done very well in these in these matchups when we've given him the task of going head to head with one of the elite midfielders of the of the competition. And I think he's probably first cab off the rank. I thought Redden had a really good return to form on Thursday as well, and he's a guy who just likes to get down and get dirty. He could be another one to to stand Dangerfield if it comes to that as well. But I think Yo first of all. Uh, another battle in the middle that is of interest, not specifically an individual head-to-head, but rather just the two midfield units. You touched on Redden there, and he's a guy that really is built for finals. He, he lifts his work rate. He lifts his tackle numbers. Uh, he had he had six on the weekend. Last year throughout the finals, he was obviously a phenomenal player uh, throughout the entire final series, really. So we've got a couple of options now in Redden. We've seen Sheed get it done in the finals. Luke Shuey, we didn't mention earlier, but he was phenomenal against Essendon in his 200th. And fingers crossed that Elliot Yo can get things back on track. Now, conversely, Geelong on paper, the midfield is absolutely terrifying. They've got a lot of talent in, the, in that small to mid forward that they roll through in the middle as well. So they've got a lot of options throughout the guts. 
Let's say we're putting Yo on Dangerfield, and let's say Hutchings is spending time on Stewart. How do you deal with these guys like Kelly, like Selwood? Uh, they don't have Mitch Duncan, it doesn't look like, due to injury this week, but there's still some names and, and some danger signs throughout that Geelong midfield. So how do you deal with the other guys, perhaps a couple of the forgotten names of that Cats interior line? I think we've got to focus on on the rucks as well. That's, that's an area where we should have advantage, and if we can, um, if we can win the taps, then... We can be the aggressors around the stoppage and, and force them onto the back foot. Yeah, I, I don't really know about head-to-head matchups. We don't, we, without Hutchings we're in there, we don't tend to play direct tags on people. It's probably just uh, you know, going to back our our unit in to to do the job on them. And yeah, Dun- Duncan's a big loss. He was a good, he was very good in the first time we played in the season. Selwood's been a bit down on his usual mm. form, but he's always a He's a warrior. He's a guy who can can lift in finals. He's a danger as well. And you got Ablett as well. Maybe he's got one one last big game in him, and that's another probably difficult matchup for us as well. But the, the the flip side, they've got to worry about matching up on some of our guys as well. I think it's just going to be two good midfields going head to head, and yeah, hopefully our guys come out on top. Let's shift focus now. We'll take a look at the Geelong forwards. We'll take a look at our back line. Somewhat of a controversial pick, Tom Hawkins, making the All-Australian side uh, this year. And he, he didn't perhaps make a good representation of himself last week against Collingwood. He was fairly unsighted. I don't believe he kicked a goal. And he's, he's been a little bit down on form of late. What's the matchup you'd like to see there? And let's look at these other guys, your, your McGovern's, your Barassas, your Schofields. If we, if we, Let's say we put Schofield on uh, Hawkins, which is what I'd be doing. Where do you find these other guys? Because the Cat's not particularly tall up forward for a side that plays as tall defensively as we do. You're probably looking at maybe Barass on Rudigalia. There's their other big uh, target up forward. And, yeah, the rest can probably raffle them, I guess. Um Nelson might be a good matchup for someone like Myers, maybe. I think that that's that's probably his best best matchup. And I think a lot of our our defence relies on not having direct matchups. It's about using our experience and our organisation, our structures to just get the guys to to pick up the nearest person. And in Hearn, McGovern, Shepherd, and Jetta when he's called upon, we've got guys who can play on quite a variety of opponents and I think we'll we'll stick to that versatility rather than having specific matchups for every one of their their forwards. And as you said, they've got a, a, a quite a fleet of small forward half forwards that they roll up through the middle. So having permanent direct matchups is going to be a bit a bit difficult when those guys roll up the ground. Like we touched on earlier, the Cats are missing a few guys from injury. Duncan obviously injured in the Collingwood game, as was Rowan. He seems likely to miss with a hamstring strain. Uh, Gary Rowan kicking four goals last time against the Eagles, so a sneaky asset or a sneaky positive for the Eagles there if he does miss, despite him having quite a quite a quiet back end to the season. Uh, Cam Guthrie potentially missing for Geelong. For the Eagles, KK, it's a completely different story. We've got Venables done for the season, although thankfully we saw him return to training this week, which is great news. We've got Venables missing, we've got Branda missing, Ainsworth missing, and Matt Allen is done for one to two weeks. That's 27 games of experience unavailable. The rest of the team is available for selection and can be involved in the plans, hopefully not just this week, but going forward. So how do you think these injuries for Geelong are going to force them to restructure and reshuffle on the fly? Is that something where the continuity for the Eagles might help us build towards a win this week? Absolutely. I think we said about a month ago that the 
the positive going into the back end of the season was we've got a, a fit list and we're probably in a better spot than the rest of the finals team. And we certainly didn't pick up any new injuries on the weekend. And Geelong can't can't say the same. Their depth is going to be going to be tested. And yeah, I think any any sort of continuity you can get going through finals and not having to bring guys in. I haven't kept track of the VFL, but I'm presuming Geelong's VFL side's done for the year as well. So that's that's another thing to consider if they've got having to bring new players in. They're not getting that match practice as well. So I'd much rather be in our spot with a consistent uh, solid 22. We're not having to make unforced changes to. My understanding is that the cat side are done for the season, but as are or as were Collingwood, so they've agreed to play some sort of scratch match. I wonder if that was last week, sort of in the build-up to this week. I'm unsure as to the timing of that, but I know that the Cats and the Pies agreed to play some sort of VFL scratch match, you know, shaping up for the finals. So uh, perhaps they have had some guys with some match practice, but they're certainly not raring to go, and they do have to make a few little changes on the fly. For the Eagles, like we said, it's continuity. It's exactly what we did against Essendon. Hey, guys, let's just do it again. And with that, we touched on the, the positives of the small forwards and indeed the entire forward line last week. What do we expect from the Eagles' forward line this week? When they met last, we, we didn't get much of an opportunity to see what our forwards are capable of against their backs because the ball simply wasn't coming in. We weren't getting the opportunity to kick those big scores. So it is a chance for the Eagles to right the wrong of earlier in the season. What do you make of the forward line versus Geelong's back line this week? Well, it is their strength, and they're pretty... They're pretty tall down back. I don't think we're going. I don't think our talls are going to have it all their own way. And I'm hoping that that Kennedy can can back up. That uh, Thursday wasn't the sort of the anomaly of of the good game, and then um, he struggles to to bring it back the, the week after. Oh, I, I think our our best our best danger in the forward line is going to be our smalls. Darling, Darling's been solid all year. If you if you give him a chance, he will. He will mark the ball and he'll bring things to ground and then it's just a matter of our forwards being in the right position and hopefully running their taller players off their feet. Yeah, in that in that Cats-Collingwood game last week, you look at the distribution of goal scorers from a Collingwood perspective, Jamie Elliott kicking two, Taylor Adams kicking two, Will Hoskin-Elliott kicked one, Jaden Stevenson kicked one, so all guys that are comfortably under that 190-centimetre mark, some of which significantly shorter than that as well. Uh, the Smalls really gave Geelong trouble last week, and it was an early barrage of goals that set the tone, and from then on it was a bit of an arm wrestle. While we're talking about that arm wrestle, we touched on it earlier as well, we hinted at it, the Eagles played quite a soft bruise-free, however you want to term it. It wasn't a finals-like intensity last week in terms of the physicality. Not a lot of tackles, not a lot of big hits. The Eagles have come up with a clean bill of health. You compare that to the Geelong game, Collingwood were all over them. It was wet, it was a slick night, and everybody's crashing into each other. A lot of sore boys coming out of it, let alone the injured ones. Uh, In terms of who throws the first punch, who comes out the freshest, the Eagles have had to travel, but they've had the longer break. You know, Geelong have been sitting at home, but they got beat up last week pretty badly. So right from the start, how do you think this one's going to go from an energy level point of view? Oh, they're going to come out firing for sure. So they've got all the pressure on them not to go out in straight sets. And they've got the guys like Dangerfield and, and Selwood that are just going to really rip in hard early on. And we've got to be ready for that. That's probably the one downside to having an easier final first up is that you've got it in there, make that jump to true finals intensity. And I'm, I'm expecting Geelong to, to bring it right at the first bounce. And we've got to be up for that. And I um, hope we are. 
I think having that Nui in there is always a bonus, just his enthusiasm for, for being back in finals and, you know, he'll be up for it and hopefully they'll rub off the rest of the guys early on. Yes. If we are going to lose this game, I, I feel it might be early on where they, they get a bit of a jump and then they can slow the game down and use their defensive talents to to grind us out. That's probably our biggest danger of losing the game is having a bad start. You mentioned last week that the first five minutes or indeed just the first phase of the game would probably be a pretty good indication of how the rest would play out. You were spot on. The Eagles kicked the first couple of goals and that first quarter they definitely you know, took the win in that first quarter. Do you think it's going to be the same this week or think that if Geelong do get that first punch, they will try and slow it down? Like you said, do you think we're going to have the energy and the ability to really grind them out and get over the top of them the longer the battle goes on? I think as long as we're not in a too big a hole in the scoreboard, then absolutely we do. And we've shown throughout the season that we can score goals in a hurry. One of the takeaways from Friday is Geelong just looked really slow on both sides of the ball. And when we move in the ball well, we were as quick as any team team going around. So I don't – it'd have to be in a really bad spot before we were incapable of getting out of it. And I don't think we'll end up in that, that spot. They might get the first goal or two. But one of the takeaways from Friday is Geelong just looked really slow on both sides of the ball. And when we move in the ball well, we were as quick as any team team going around. So I don't – we're used to playing the MCG now well. We've got that confidence of knowing that when we step onto that ground, we're going to play and play well. And I don't think we've always had that in the past. So that that gives me a, a lot of confidence that we can grind it out. We saw even in the like the Hawthorne and the Richmond games this year that that late in the game, when we looked like we were done, we managed to pull it out of the fire. So yeah, we'll be in this game right till the end for sure. All right. It's time to make the big call. You've mentioned you're confident. Just quietly, I'm pretty confident as well. Although you can't get ahead of yourself because the Cats are still a very dangerous side on their day. But KK, you can lead us off. What is your prediction for how Friday night's game plays out and which eagle is going to star for us as we hopefully fire our way through to a prelim final? I'm going to go for an eagle's win. Uh, 17 points. So uh, a solid grind, but we'll, we'll get over them in the end, I think it's just that we're going to have the, the scoring power that they won't ultimately be able to match. And on that token, I think uh, Willie Rioli's um, prime for a big game. I think it's going to be our smalls that are going to give them in trouble and his ability to just be, be clean in the forward line, push up in the midfield and be that uh, extra hard-ass around the ball as well. I think he, he's prime for a, a big game and he'll be our, our best on. Can I just say... You know, when magicians like pull people out of the crowd and they have, you know, they have them confirm that they've never met each other before, they've never, they've not checked this trick or done anything like this in the past. Can, can you just confirm that we don't discuss our predictions ahead of time? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I can. So last week, I think you said 33 and I said 32 or vice versa, something like that. You've just said 17. I've got here down Eagles by 16. Uh, so we are absolutely in tune with each other. Fingers crossed the Eagles do get the result, and I think that they will. Uh, In a similar vein to you with your Rioli pick, I like Jamie Cripps for best on ground. He was terrific last week. He loves playing at the MCG. Here are his visits to the MCG this year. 
Four goals against Collingwood, three against Hawthorne, three against Richmond. He's coming off four last week. He's kicked multiple bags of four this year. He's primed and ready to go. And I think it is the sort of thing that, you know, it's the MCG, it's the ground. He uses the space well. He's going to get involved. And we've both identified that our smalls are possibly where we're going to get the advantage this week. So uh, give me all of the Jamie Cripps this week as the Eagles romp home by 16 points and advance to the prelim. All right, that will do it from us this week. It's been a fun episode because we had a big win last week and I'm fingers crossed that next week's going to be a fun episode as well. The Eagles play the Cats. The season's over if we lose, but KK, you and I both think that that won't be the case and we're going to continue to power along in September. Thanks very much for coming on the show and, and sharing your thoughts on the game. Always a pleasure. Let's hope we're not folding the podcast this time next week. The podcast is going to live forever and we will be talking to you this time next week no matter what happens, but... Fingers crossed that we're previewing a Richmond clash and not, uh, yeah, not going through the demise of the Eagles' back-to-back prospects. But that is a topic for another week. Indeed, that is the topic for next week. In the meantime, if you've got any questions or any comment for us on the podcast, if you've got a review, anything like that, it would be fantastically appreciated. So be sure to send those ones through. Uh, as I said, look, we will definitely talk to you next week. And fingers crossed we talk to you for many weeks after that as the Eagles storm on to the grand final. Uh, Other than that, for KK, I've been Honey Badger 35. We will chat to you next time. Bye now. Bye now.